And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Unseen and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. As usual, we bring you exclusive insights and stories from our team of writers. David's still on holiday, so his weekly column is in the hands of Laurie Whitwell. And Laurie will have updates on stories including pay-per-view and Chelsea's continued pursuit of West Ham's Declan Rice. Uh, Greg O'Keefe joins us to uh, talk about the small details, really, that are having a negative effect on what was a great start to the season for Everton. And the Athletics' Italian football writer James Horncastle details the second coming of Zlatan Ibrahimovic in Italy and also what Milan are doing off the pitch to get back to the top of the European game. To read all the articles we discuss on today's podcast in full, simply head to www.theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman to sign up for just £1 a week. So once again, in David's absence, Laurie Whitwell has taken care of the weekly column, uh, muscling in, staking his claim (laughs) for it permanently. Laurie is with us. Let's deal with the pay-per-view, first of all, shall we? Yes, what do you want to know, Chappers? Well, it's not going to stop, is it? Because even though there hasn't been a great uptake, it's still made them... Five million quid. Well, that's it. I think that's the the sort of takeaway from what I've been speaking to people about this over the weekend and sort of last week. When you look at the numbers that were coming in, um, it doesn't look like anything to write home about. But then again, they were only ever intended to make up for the loss of match day revenue, tickets, and what have you. You know, with lockdown coming in, I think quite a few people appreciate that it's a bad luck to then still be charging people fourteen ninety five for matches that you know ostensibly wouldn't draw you know huge crowd wouldn't be on TV at all. But the fact of the matter is that those clubs that are you know have smaller commercial revenues want to stick by it, I think, really. Um there might be a debate over the price point at Thursday's meeting, but there is it's not like a case of the clubs looking at that and going, actually yeah, we've had a, a nightmare with this one, we need to change it. I think some are looking at it and thinking actually it's been what we expected it to be and, and we want to continue with it. And that's the the key point, I suppose, it is the so-called smaller clubs in the Premier League whose revenue has maybe been hit harder because they don't have other revenue or as many commercial mm. revenue streams who who will push for this to stay at its price point. Yeah, I think that's the way it sounds, um, at least, because, I mean, you look at, you know, the bigger clubs, you know, let's just say Manchester United, the, the club that I cover, they've got huge commercial revenue. So for them, it doesn't really make much sense to charge 1495 for a game. You know, they I think they would ideally like to have season ticket holders have a way of streaming it, but that's not proved to be, you know, technologically possible or, or even what, you know, the general uh, populace of the Premier League want. So I think there will be some discussion over it but whether or not that actually then comes down to a 995 price point for example because you, I mean you look at the EFL and their approach to that would be well you've got you know one camera that's costing you know fans 10 pounds per game for, for EFL matches so you know is, is 14.95 really that bad when you, you get in a full kind of commentary system and, and and various multiple angles on shots but I think it goes back to the point of being that you know the general populace are having hardship you know it's going to be you know, lockdown again, people's jobs at risk and, and just general life is going to be difficult. So for the Premier League clubs to try and gain all their income back, you know, uh, is possibly not 
you know, something that I think most people find palatable. Do the broadcasters get involved in this? Do you know? Because as I have understood it throughout all of this debate, one of the one of the things that if the clubs start streaming games via their own website and their own other uh, media outlets, then all of a sudden that opens a door that um, loosens broadcasters' control over the game. Yeah, quite possibly, and I, I think that has been a kickback. I mean, you, you, this sort of seems to be a bit of a difficulty in pinpointing exactly who came up with this fourteen ninety five price point. The Premier League and the clubs would say the broadcasters have a say. The broadcasters would say it's down to the Premier League clubs, um, and I do agree. With I think there is a, a, a sort of reticence to allow clubs to have their own feeds when that you know, is at the thin end of a wedge. And we've seen already that a number of these things that have come in during lockdown is that a way of sampling um, sort of broader changes to the game that will actually remain even when we do have fans back in, in life. Hopefully at one stage goes back to normal. We are in November, so we're in between transfer windows. And yet West Ham fans will be delighted mm-hmm. that your uh, column talks about Declan Rice and that Chelsea haven't given up on him. Yeah, so this is a piece from Simon Johnson, who I think has covered the Declan Rice saga uh, really well. Are you, on the one hand, trying to credit him, but also, on the other hand, trying to make sure that any stick <laughs> that comes the way of the column goes from West Ham fans goes towards him and not you? I want to shine the light on Simon Johnson for well, his excellent work put. this week. <laughs> when when you when you step into David Ornstein's shoes, enormous as they are, and uh, somebody <laughs> comes up with a transfer line, I will gratefully receive it <laughs> and put it in the column. So thank you to Simon for this. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, it, it sounds like, you know, Chelsea still want Declan Rice. Well, Frank Lampard still wants Declan Rice, I think is the main takeaway. And um, and the fact that, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, wanting him not to sign a new contract at West Ham because they want to go back in for him. January, maybe that'd be too soon. But ultimately, it's just another, it's sort of like, you know, the the, the piece I suppose I wrote about Erling Haaland last week that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer still wants him. In reality, is it going to definitely happen? You know that's that's something to be decided, but I think the point still stands that if a manager wants a player, it's worth us noting it down. Absolutely, and also the the column says two permanent transfers of first mm. team squad players at Chelsea had been put in place, and that would have brought in enough capital for them to have made an offer for Rice. But that both those deals fell through. That's a really interesting point. I think he, he raises. I, I don't know who they are, but I mean, we, we a lot know, of people we, would suggest one is Kante. I yeah, think. that that makes sense to me. I mean, I, sort of sounding like an aftertimer here but you know when the summer happened and, and Angola Kante was linked with United for example I was told that there was substance to that in that Chelsea were open to, to a possible sale again at least Frank Lampard was obviously the way it works at Chelsea with the manager and, and, and Marina Granovskaya there and Roman Abramovich is that there's a sort of you know a trade a trade off you know between you know some some players are, are you know primarily the manager's decision some are primarily the club's decision they come to an agreement so it's sort of all these discussions I suppose uh, you take each case as it comes and, and I think Kante would have probably been available for, for a sale if the right bid had come in and that then could have freed up the cash for Declan Rice absolutely so I guess that's just a sort of an area to watch as the as the window opens and, and possibly even towards the summer as well Unusual that United wanted a midfielder There's <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's the uh, the the uh, weekly cynical moment. Uh, also in the column, uh, Phil Foden and Mason Greenwood could be back in the frame for England. Maybe 
more Foden than Greenwood up until the last week, just because of the lack of game time for Greenwood? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the, the clear point is that uh, Southgate feels they've both served their time, you know, for the punishment over the incident in Iceland, which is obviously very foolish of them. and led to believe that senior players in the England camp did support Southgate for sort of jettisoning both of the players for for uh, for one camp at least. They were you know pretty angry that they um, you know brought girls girls back to a hotel on their sort of debuts. Um, but listen, they've made a mistake. They've they've been so. Sort of you know, barred, I suppose, from the from the squad, but they're under consideration again. Foden's obviously done really well since that point, scored three goals for Manchester City. Greenwood's been a little bit more out of the team at United. He scored once, though, obviously, against Leipzig and, and started against Arsenal. So um, I think he did OK against Arsenal, but whether that's enough for Southgate to go, yep, you're in my team. You know, he had... Danny Ings, Tanny Abraham, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Harry Kane in his squad last time, although obviously Danny Ings has, has potentially got a knee injury that might rule him out. So I suppose that frees up a space in attack, so Greenwood might benefit from that. Just going back to the, the Premier League meeting that's later this week, uh, will mm. they talk about substitutes in that meeting? Or or is that kind of done and dusted? Because the, the managers of the, the, you know, the bigger clubs with the bigger squads, Guardiola and Klopp in particular, have talked about the number of injuries already this season because of the number of games. Klopp has spoken about wanting five subs again mm. in the Premier League like, like they have in Europe, which when I hear that, on the one hand, you think mm, that I can see their point. And then on the other hand, I'm also thinking, well, they would say that because they've got the bigger squads with the better players. Yes, I'd love to do a kind of empirical sort of bit of research. I mean, maybe this is one for you know one of our deep diver stats do gurus at uh, the do Athletic. It. The, the Athletic like deep dive empir- that- empirical <laughs> empirical empirical pieces. Easy for you to say. Yeah, they, exactly. They, they, I mean, I, I, so the, the Pep Guardiola came out with this sort of status status about forty seven percent more muscle injuries this season than last. I'd I'd, lead, I'd like to check that out. And then the alternative point of view is, d- d- would more subs genuinely benefit the bigger clubs you know just anecdotally just looking at you'd think yeah because um, they have bigger squads more quality and depth and they've got more options to change it Um, the flip side might be that you know are smaller clubs you know more likely to be behind in games and therefore needing to make changes to chase games you know uh, that's one alternative viewpoint but in terms of you know Guardiola, Klopp and Solskjaer all speaking about it it's clear that they feel strongly about it but at the same time you know, it's been tabled a Premier League meeting twice. Bruce Book, at Chelsea brought it to the table last time, and it got uh, rejected. I don't think opinions changed enough for them to get the required amount of votes for um, it to come back into play. So, I, I it could get brought up in the meeting, but I don't think it'll have much substance. Just judging from speaking to people um, ahead of it. Are you going to do that piece this week then? I don't know. You see, because I've got Will another it take couple. Longer? It might take it, so. This might be a couple of uh, you know fortnights work. You see, chappers, because you, you want to do it properly. You want to go into uh, you know uh, all the different stats that you can possibly draw out. Do you, want, um, do, do you want to? Do you want to travel? I tell tell them that there's a second division club in Colombia that that really proves the point <laughs> on whether on whether five five subs work, and because you can still travel for work purposes. Then you get then you get the trip. That's a good point, Chappers. I mean, is this all being recorded, and, and will they be able to use this against me if I then go and propose it as a as a no, as a, no, as a trip? They love it. They love it. It's, it's just all working together, and and the athletic management listen to listen to this podcast. So so job done. Do you want to come on the trip? Uh, unfortunately not. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I can't even get empirical empirical right, so I'll be useless on the rest of the trip. Uh, plenty more in Laurie's column uh, over on The Athletic, that, that big piece coming in the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, and he writes about United and also co-hosts the United podcast, Talk of the Devils. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Well, let's move on to Everton next on the pod and talk to Greg O'Keefe, who covers the club for The Athletic. They had a great start to the season, didn't they? And then the last couple of weeks, it hasn't quite gone their way. Why? <laughs> Primarily, not having Richarlison has been such a challenge. You know, since the derby when, when he when he was sent off and he got the three game ban, he's so important to how Everton play. Um, and then obviously that raises another one of the issues, which is kind of like the lack of strength and depth. Uh, you know, if you're going to sustain a top four challenge, you can't just be so reliant on a couple of players. But honestly, not having Richarlison's sort of talismanic effort on the in the press. In the way he leads that, in, in his overall, um, just the, the vigor with it, he, he tracks back. You know, when when he's on that left side of the four three three attack, you know it's a, it's going to be a really solid side in terms of he's not going to give any cheap, cheaply to the opposition in terms of when Everton haven't got the ball, and then when they have, the runs he's making is constantly offering an out for the players who, and, and particularly for Dominic Carvert Lewin. He's got that support, always making clever, unselfish runs um, and dragging defenders away. And, and without that, Everton miss so much. They, they just He seems to embody everything that Carlo Ancelotti wants in this new Everton. And so, like, you know, on the injury front as well, they've, they've sort of been a little bit uh, bit unlucky since the derby. And um, I just think that overall lack of quality, strength and depth is starting to tell at the moment. So, Iwobi or Bernard as far as Ancelotti is concerned, are not seen as able to do a job in Richarlison's absence. I'm just, I'm just looking at yeah. the more wider players that Everton have. No, and I think he's got like this three options there, which are all quite different. He's got Bernard, who's traditionally, since he's joined, he's maybe been okay in home games sometimes, but tends to struggle away. Then you've got Awobi, who's just been a bit of a conundrum. Um, you see flashes of... Um, real flair and an ability to unpick at the defence but but generally he's been disappointing and defensively he doesn't he's nowhere near at the level of Richarlison and you've got Anthony Gordon as well don't forget who, yeah. who's academy product but for me probably the most effective of those three and, and at the moment he's kicking his heels and unable to get on but Ancelotti doesn't seem convinced with, with any of them but particularly the first two you know he brought uh, he started the Wobie in place of Richardson against Southampton. Took him off at half time. He brought Bernard on yesterday. Didn't really happen. There was a few flashes, but nothing, nothing good enough. And then brought a Wobie on, and you know a Wobie kind of put in a deflected pass that, that possibly should have been a goal for Calvert Lewin. And I think when he looks at his options there, despite having quite a few, he, he hasn't got faith in them. And so that's probably an area where you'll look at in January to get a bit more attacking depth, whether it's a more experienced striker or someone who can play in those roles either side of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Because he has tried those two different methods, hasn't he, in the two games so far without Richarlison. As you say, at Southampton, 
He had Awobi and he had Luca Dina, and mm. yet he didn't really have the width on the right because he went with the centre-half at right-back in Ben Gordon as opposed to yeah. Seamus Coleman behind Hammer. So, so Southampton could just shut down Everton's right flank, flank in that game. And and yesterday, they went with a different kind of yeah. tactic and, and packed it centrally and hoped his full-backs, because he had John Joe Kenny back yesterday, hoped his full-backs would provide the width. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, John Joe Kenny hasn't been injured and hasn't played for Everton for a long time. So, um, and on the other side, the, sort of the, the other sort of false full-back um, position, but the one who was expected to offer width, was a 19-year-old uh, called, called Niels Nkunku, who's really, really highly thought of and has been flying in the League Cup. Um, but it was always going to be difficult for him. You know, you could see that when he was trying to get at Jacobs and trying to get beyond Fernandez, was they, they were doubling up on him. And they sort of knew how to close him down, really. And so, like I say, he's only learning. So that, did, that didn't offer the width that they, as you say there, that he was hoping. So the, the amount of crosses, good crosses going into Calvert-Lewin was, was really low. And uh, as a result, he just looks so frustrated and isolated. And I think, you know, one small positive is credit to him that he kept going and he got his goal. Not that it did anything for the overall cause, but he has to find a way with what he's got until January at least. And there will be money in January, will there? I think, it, again, it sort of depends on whether or not he's able to move on some of these fringe players. You know, Blassie's move to Middlesbrough fell through. Yannick Blassie uh, was on the brink of a move to Middlesbrough that fell through. The, the whole point of why he wasn't maybe able to get those extra couple of players he needs once they decided, look, we're going to spend 20, 25 million on Ben Godfrey was because the wage bill hadn't reduced to the extent they wanted it to. They couldn't get, get rid of Bessic. They couldn't move on Balassi. You know, there was even suggestions that, that Bernard, who's on like 100 grand a week because they signed him for free from Shakhtar, that they were willing to listen to offers for him. And I suspect they still are, but with none of those three going, they were unable to do it. So January, again, behind scenes, you know, Marcel Brown's been trying to get them off the books and then give himself some some time and, and freed up cash to say, yeah, let's bring in those players. Because you've seen probably seen the links with Isco on loan. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he the type of player you'd imagine would be... Um, it just made me laugh because Ancelotti doesn't like to... He picks and chooses sometimes. He says, oh, I won't mention another club's player. But when he was asked about Isco, his answer was a little bit similar to the sort of answers he was giving when he was talking about Rodriguez in the summer before we did sign him. So I don't know, watch that one. It might not be quite as fanciful as it seems. And what did you make about his answers post-match on Jordan Pickford when he said... He's a manager that he's a manager that has always rotated goalkeepers. Was what he said. He said he yeah. did it. He did it at Real Madrid. He did it at Napoli. It's no big deal. Pickford will play against United. I found it a, a little bit odd. He did it at Real Madrid, from my understanding of it, when uh, Casillas was coming to the end of his career and they'd signed Paulo Lopez. So he sort of he didn't to what I to what I recall. I don't think he rotated them much in the league. It was a case of I think Casillas played in the Champions League and maybe in Copa Real and, and he was slowly sort of phasing him out. But the, Jordan Pickford, who's not even at his peak, uh, but, but he's having problems, he's, he's making errors uh, and he's become an issue. So it just felt odd. And then, and then to sort of straight away to come out and say before the game that he was going to be back in against United. Um, it was quite a high stakes, whether it was all, all down to done to placate Pickford and maintain his confidence and, and not uh, and someone said to him you know 
you kind of made life difficult for you because if, if Olsen go, goes and has a storm, you know, what are you going to do? And he didn't really like the question, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, yeah. He, he, as much, that's as much as of, a, of him bristling as we've seen since he came to, to Merseyside. And Olsen did well. He did really well. You know, he, yeah. he made one unbelievable save from Longstaff. Yeah. I'm not sure how sustainable it is rotating goalkeepers. I'm not sure what how that helps the fluency with the back four, which has already been chopped and changed through injuries and... Um, I, I'm not sure how how much a good idea that frankly that is. And I know I know they're they're in the League Cup and they've got the FA Cup in the new year, so maybe he's talking about that. But he was actually saying no, no, no. Robin Olsen will be playing in the league again, just not just not against United. So whether behind the scenes he he's saying that, but he's actually thinking I want to have a proper look at Olsen. And as you say, from what he's seen. Um, he's given him more food for thought. Greg, we're going to move on uh, in a moment on the pod to talk about uh, one of Carlo Ancelotti's former clubs in AC Milan. But thanks for joining us. We'll talk soon. Cheers, Chappers. Thank you. As well as writing about Everton for The Athletic, Greg also co-hosts the Everton podcast, uh, which you can listen to. Glad tidings. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move on to AC Milan then, because on Saturday, an article written by James Horncastle on The Athletic was all about Zlatan Ibrahimovic's impressive return to the club. And then on Sunday, he goes and scores an overhead kick and is the top scorer in Serie A. So look at you, clairvoyant James. <laughs> no, look at my editor, uh, <laughs> Chappers, because to be honest, I was like, well, why are we... Why are we writing this ahead of a, a, a game which isn't necessarily one of the biggest? They were in Udine playing against Udinese, uh, but Zlatan delivered as he has in every game this season for them. He scored in uh, six consecutive games uh, for Milan. The last uh, player to do that for them was Zlatan uh, when he was uh, in his first spell. And then before that, Andriy Shevchenko. I, I, I just suppose no one really expected this of someone at that stage of his career because he's he's 38 he's he's come back from mls a couple of seasons there remember his united career was kind of brought to an end by that uh, acl tear which i think for most people uh, at that time in in their lives in their football lives would have uh, have persuaded them maybe to look at retiring and instead Zlatan just keeps going. I'm biased here because I I love Zlatan and I know he's always been a divisive figure as far as English football is, is concerned. You know, whether he'd have done it here in his prime and so on and so forth. I can remember all of those debates when I was covering Italian football <laughs> myself. And, you know, with my Manchester United hat on, he was he was brilliant at, at the club, both both on the pitch and behind the scenes. What I, what I love about your piece is his first meeting with... Mina Raiola, who said to him, 
and I'm quoting from your piece here, do you want to become the best in the world or the one who earns the most and can swan around in this kind of gear? Your stats are crap. And for someone, for, for an agent who is much maligned in the media because, you know, people see that he just moves his clients on for lots and lots of money, He's been key for Zlatan, hasn't he? Yeah, I think it's a, a real meeting of, of like-minded people between Zlatan and, and Mino. Uh, they speak the same language. Um, and, you know, Zlatan says that is council estate language. They're very direct. Um, yeah, they don't hold back in what they think about each other. I think Mino over the years has found exactly the right way to kind of push Zlatan's buttons. I think if you're... In any sport, and you're entering your late 30s, early 40s, and you are still competing at the top of the game, you know, I mean, a, a lot of people will react on, on social media and say, ah, it's Serie A, it's slower there, it's easier to score, all this kind of baloney. But for any athlete um, to be at that age and still contributing, be it in NFL with Tom Brady, uh, be it in the NBA with LeBron James, these are tremendous professionals and I think uh, Mino was, was when he said that to Zlatan Zlatan went away he ditched uh, the Gucci leather jacket he, he turned up for that meeting at the hotel in <laughs> he basically put the the the, uh, the Porsche that he'd been driving uh, into into the garage and started driving a Fiat and was determined to prove this guy wrong and uh, and prove him wrong he did and you know, I think when they were deciding what to do about his future this time last year, when his contract in MLS with the Galaxy came up, you know, Mino again found a way to really kind of get under Zlatan's skin, which was like, you can't retire here, Zlatan. It's too easy. MLS. No, no, we, we, we've got to go back to one of the best leagues in the world and, and, and show you can still do it there. And, and that's exactly what he's done, Shepard. Also, the other line at the top of this piece, he wanted to prove the bloke with a belly like one of the Sopranos wrong. <laughs> I mean, they properly. I mean, they probably, as you said, they properly go at each other when required. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's really interesting looking at the kind of stable of clients that Ryla has got because Mario Balotelli is is one of them, still is. You know, he's in his his late twenties. I think if that, he's only he's only just turned thirty. And and and, and Balotelli, you know, when Zlatan was at Inter, he was seen as the future, and uh, it hasn't worked out for Balotelli and. You know, Ryla has, has said on a few occasions that, you know, he's always pointed his clients to Zlatan saying, follow his example. You know, this is a guy who may come across as brash and arrogant and he talks the talk. But behind all of that is an incredible kind of body of work in terms of the, the how he trains. You know, Zlatan at the moment keeps saying this line, which is, uh, you play how you train, you play how you train. And he's clearly playing and training at a very high level. And uh, Balotelli's without a club at the moment. Um, he's a free agent. You know, one of his brothers, Enoch, is on on uh, Celebrity Big Brother in Italy, and he, he you know he's appearing in the studio, sort of commenting on on what Enoch's getting up to. And uh, there's that line from from Ryler a few years ago, which is, yeah, Zlatan would have lost patience with Balotelli because he can't stand uh, wasted talent." And you know, this is someone who is, who you know, I mean, who grew up watching the original Ronaldo on, on, on video and has some of the skills that we, uh, you know, very few uh, players of his generation and this one can pull off. You know, he's a very skillful, technically proficient player. And yet behind it is, 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 is someone who's as hardworking, I would say, as a six out of 10 footballer. Um, he's maximised his talent, whereas, whereas others around him haven't. Going back to Milan in general then, how 
and, and I don't know whether to say how have they turned it around or, or how are they turning it around because the the completion of being turned around hasn't happened yet i mean you've written a massive article on this on the athletic <laughs> i mean, I, mean yeah. I know i mean it's, it's, it's fantastic <laughs> that's the whole point it's properly in depth and and yeah i mean it's taken the producer three stints to read it because you know he's he's getting on a bit <laughs> No, it is, it is a long read. I mean, the, the access we got was was tremendous. We, we spoke to Ivan Gazidis, who is the, the chief executive, um, Paolo Maldini, who came back to the club um, to be technical director. A guy called Joffrey Moncada, who's the chief scout. Uh, Moncada was at Monaco and built the teams that uh, reached the what the semifinals of the of the Champions League and, and won Liga um, despite competing against Paris Saint Germain. Spoke to Stefano Pioli, the current coach, and Teo Hernandez, who really is kind of indicative of this this new wave at at, uh, at Milan. Yeah, this is the youngest team in Europe. Yeah, even with Zlatan on it, um, and yeah, they made a conscious decision about a year ago now to go in the direction of uh, finding and signing players who are at the beginning of the, their careers who've got uh, tremendous talent and tremendous upside because you know one of the things you have to consider with, with Milan is they play in Serie A which in terms of TV revenue doesn't make as much money by any means as the Premier League they play at San Siro which they don't own and they're not in the Champions League they haven't been in the Champions League for six years so this is one kind of area where if they need to make money they can by developing players but at the same time they're getting better and they're hoping to get back into the Champions League all the same um, yeah they've put some really good people in place I would say to make them smarter when it comes to who they're signing they're not uh, for example agent led they're not reactive um, you know they've, they've 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 put an analytics team of three people in place um, who are in charge with, uh, with with scouting some of these players under Moncada um, they've got you know Maldini and, and another guy Riccardo Massara, who's the sporting director who knows the Italian market really well. And they've assembled a team that I must say this time last year a lot of people were saying what are they playing at? They've gone too young, and you know they sacked their manager in October, Marco Giampaolo. They were 11th at Christmas. They'd just been beaten five nil by Atalanta. Then they signed Zlatan, and all of a sudden Zlatan seemed to kind of bring it together and I think this is this this is what's what's great about this story is that they are not Zlatan dependent but in some respects Zlatan has taken a lot of the pressure off these young players he said I'll take the pressure I'll take all the spotlight I'll take all the hype you know I'll be there to to, to basically talk to the media when things go wrong and to be honest, they're 24 games unbeaten, so not a lot has gone wrong since he's been at the club. Things have just, all of a sudden there's this alchemy, which I don't think many people were expecting, but it's allowed the kind of, the, the seeds that were were, uh, were sown uh, last year to finally be reaped. And, and, and they're, bringing, they're bringing a tremendous harvest, if I'm going to continue with that, uh, <laughs> that, that <laughs> metaphor. But um, Milan have finally get, got their act together, Chappers. I think to some extent over the last decade, we've, we've, when we've looked at them and said, oh, the, the, the decline of AC Milan, a lot of the time it's, it, we've treated it as a monolith, as, as though it's the same owner that's been in charge all the time. And it hasn't. You know, Silvio Berlusconi was in charge for a quarter of a century. He came to the end of his run. At that time, they were just kind of doing free transfers and loans. And then they went on this huge spending spree, expecting to sell the club. They didn't sell the club. That got them into financial fair play trouble. They then did sell the club to, to this mysterious Chinese entrepreneur who no one heard of called Li Yonghong. He spent 
even more money uh, and got them into even more financial fair play trouble. The situation that uh, the hedge fund that currently manages them, Elliot and Gazidis, inherited is really tricky, really difficult to turn around. And you know, although a lot of people draw comparisons with Manchester United and the de kind of decline of United, United will always have the safety net of those commercial revenues that they've built and driven uh, over the last 20 years, the safety net of Old Trafford, which they own, which, you know, when it's full, you know, brings massive unmatched their revenue by virtue, just by, by dint of geography of being in the Premier League, uh, which which guarantees them so much in, in, in uh, TV revenue every year. Milan don't have those things. And that's why their decline has been, I'd say, harder than some of the other giants, the titans of European football. But actually, maybe not having that safety net that some of the other bigger clubs in Europe have means that actually hitting rock bottom force them to focus rather than the complacency maybe for want of a better word of other clubs who because they have that safety net can kind of kind of bumble along a little bit because the money is still coming in yeah and i think one of the issues for for a lot of these clubs is self-perception um you know at the moment not to bring this back to united because uh, i know it's not a great time and there'll be a lot of anal analysis about oh, them already this weekend yes. but yes we've already done but, a bit on this one today but you know but, but, but often chappers uh, a reaction to a united defeat is um it's manchester united it is Manchester United. Yeah, this can't go on. And I think what that was the same at Milan for many years. It's like, it's Milan. Mm. Uh, you need to sign players who are good enough for Milan. And the actual fact, I think what, what, what they have done in the last two years is understand that, you know, they can't think and act like the Milan of 10, 15 years ago. They have to act as, as smart clubs do in 2020. So uh, all of a sudden, for example, the teams that Milan look for inspiration for when it comes to uh, designing a team and going into the transfer market, it's not Juventus, it's not Inter, it's not Real Madrid, it's not Barcelona. It's RB Leipzig, it's RB Salzburg, it's Dortmund, it's Atalanta, for example, mm. you know, those are the teams that have been able to have got smaller budgets um, but through smart scouting and smart coaching that develops the talent that they find has allowed them to all of a sudden just accelerate and break into what was kind of seen as the unbreakable group, which I suppose in in, in, in the Premier League would be the big six. In uh, in Italy, it's the, the, the top four. So those are the kind of reference points that Milan are looking to and and uh, and kind of drawing inspiration from in order to find their way back, which, you know, I suppose perhaps a club like United with the hierarchy that United have, they're not doing that at the moment. But then going off a, off a tangent, would, would Milan consider themselves to be in the thick of the discussions about a European Super League, despite <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting. I mean, it is an interesting debate, isn't it? I don't want to spend fifteen minutes on the European Super League, but just specifically with Milan, because all their lack of success and on the pitch and, and financial hardships for those of us of a certain generation, you know, actually, if you spoke to my seventeen-year-old son, I, he probably wouldn't consider Milan to be a a great European club because they haven't necessarily done anything in his lifetime, really, very early on in his lifetime. Whereas 
for people like you and uh, and me and uh, and the older ones, they are a they are a giant European club. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget that they've won the European Cup seven times. You know, only Real Madrid yeah. have have won it more often. Um, and, and and that's you know when I spoke to Teo Hernandez for 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 my war and peace on AC Milan, um, th- yeah, he said, uh, you know, Milan is Milan. Just to go back to that kind of uh, that line that I was deriding United yeah. for, but. Um, uh, you know, Gazidis was very good on this, actually. He was saying that the, the football heritage at Milan is, 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 and the situation that they're in is kind of similar to, to Liverpool. And, and, uh, and Liverpool, you know, went so long without winning a league title. Yes, they have won Champions Leagues in the meantime, but that football heritage is there to be activated once Milan are competitive and winning again that the 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 kind of the, the size and scale of the club the club will become much more noticeable and uh, when they put, kind of get it back it's all just there just waiting to be kind of tapped and uh, you know I, I i believe that is to be true i mean if, if, if you visit the club if you if you go to san siri you can't not be kind of swept swept away by the history and the grandeur of the club but to go to to go back to your question about uh, european super league chapters yeah, of course they want to be in the conversation for that. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the, the, their winning record in in that competition. It's it's a little bit like the, you know the, the Premier League clubs of, of the years. Why would they want to be involved in the European Super League when when the Premier League is uh, is by far the wealthiest league in the world? Why kill the kind of golden goose? Where it's like, well, they wouldn't want to not be a a part of a European Super League. They wouldn't want to be on the outside of a project like that as it takes off. And I, I think that's exactly the same of AC Milan. I think it's the same of Inter. I think it's the same of Juventus. That, um, you know, if and when this becomes a reality, um, you know, they would they would want to be a, a part of it. And also, I, th- I think you have to put this into, in perspective for the, the, the clubs outside the Premier Leagues that are in the other, of other constituent parts of Europe's top five leagues because... Yeah, in some respects, the European Super League is a response to the financial dominance and, and, and financial gulf between the Premier League and everybody else. They have to kind of catch up and find some sort of equality elsewhere in the TV revenue that that they make because it's clear, you know, when the bottom club in the Premier League is making more in TV money than the top club in Germany, the top club in Italy, <laughs> it's it's not an it's it's not uh, an easy situation for these these um, these clubs to accept. Um, I spoke to Laurie earlier and, and he was coming up with ideas for his next few articles. Do you know what your next mammoth piece will be on? We've been trying to get Inter actually to um, to, to do the same as Ooh, what we did yeah. with, with Milan. So I suppose if, if, if Milan was, was my war and peace, this would be my Anna Karenina or something like that. So... Um, <laughs> So yeah, prepare prepare yourselves. <laughs> I will. Good to talk to you, James. Cheers, Chappers. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening. That's it from us. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.